Yes, welcome back. I'm Damien Reed, keeping you company all the way through. And right now, we are talking about the most beautiful race on earth, and it has descended on Dubai. It's not me saying that. It's what it's been called for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in fact. And it is, in fact, the Mille Miglia. It is the pride of Italy, and it is here for the first time in the UAE as part of the UAE's Jubilee celebrations. And I'll tell you what, I was down there last evening, and the energy was electric as the cars were being paraded out to get ready for their start this morning. Beautiful cars, lots and lots of money, lots of value there, and some very excited drivers behind the wheel. And the most exciting part for me is I'm going to be actually taking part in this one. Tomorrow, I'll be driving a classic Mercedes with thanks to the guys from uh, from the event from the from the Milamilia for organising that one for me. But this morning I had a quick chat with uh, with Noel Ebden, fellow motoring journalist, who is also taking part in the race. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be invited uh, by Ducati and uh, Carrera Sunglasses to ride on the rally. Um, a bit unusual to have uh, bikes on the Milamilia, but um, the uh, obviously it's a modern age now and they're spreading their wings across the world. So. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. We're literally leaving in about uh, uh, very shortly. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't hold you up from uh, from competing today. But uh, I mean, it's a Ducati, so it's it's uh, it's it's the right brand um, to be racing, I guess, in in such an Italian centric event. The Carrera Ducati team. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the the event itself. What's happening with the race over the next two days? Okay, so we're heading sort of uh, on a route basically over to Fajera and then staying the night in uh, in a hotel in Fajera. But we're not going straight there, obviously. We're going via Hatta first um, and then taking in actually some roads that, uh, despite my 25 years of exploring the roads of Dubai, um, roads that I've not been on before, which is uh, going to be quite interesting. So, uh, And a few twisty roads and a few back roads and uh, a few checkpoints to make sure people don't... Uh, Take uh, take a few shortcuts and try and get to this get to the uh, finish uh, on, uh, before the head of, ahead of time. Let's say. <laughs> okay. So, do you get to actually have a look at the the roads beforehand, or is it all a bit um, just going off mapping and and what you've been given in notes? Yeah. So there's standard sort of tulip notes for uh, the you know, your your standard rally notes that uh, would be followed even on a race rally. Uh, just to just to clarify, this is not a speed rally. The uh, organisers are very keen to point that out. You're not going to see. Uh, crazy cars going you know super fast on the on the on the highway amongst all the traffic this is a timed rally so you have to get to the checkpoints at the correct time and the times have been worked out so that you're not speeding on the road uh you can arrive if you you can arrive early and you can arrive late but you then you get a penalty the idea is to arrive exactly on time basically yeah, so I was going to actually mention that because obviously we're talking about a race, but it's not actually a race in terms of driving maniacal speeds around uh, around the Emirates. It's a, it's a, this is one of the great things about the Mille Mille. It's called a regularity trial, so it's based very much about the timing. Now, this is a brings in a very interesting question. I've got to ask you: being uh, obviously on a, on a motorcycle, you're solo. Normally, cars they have a navigator with them who do all the, the the complex mathematical calculations with an egg timer and a watch and all sorts of things. How are you getting yeah. about this on a motorcycle? Okay, so I've got a bit rudimentary. Uh, I've got a, a holder on the um, on the handlebars for my phone, and I'm using Google Maps, which is not quite the uh, sort of way the rally normally works. But obviously, it's a bit difficult when you're on a bike. And uh, I'm actually wearing my wristwatch, and I'm kind of looking at my watch and looking at Google Maps and trying to work it out. But to be honest, it's uh, it's a bit hit or miss with the bikes. But uh, we're we're going to have some fun uh, and enjoy it. But 
to be honest, looking at the competitors here, some people are literally sitting there having a coffee and just waiting for the start, and they're just, I think they're just going to uh, drive around and enjoy themselves. And then I've seen other teams that are taking it extremely seriously and have got stopwatches out and are making notes on their uh, navigation uh, pad and all sorts of things. So I think there's going to be a big mix of how people approach the rally. It's all a bit serious for a Saturday morning, I have to say. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, tell us, I mean, I was down there with you last night having a look at the, the prologue the, as the cars were being wheeled out. Some amazing exotic cars down there, incredible stuff. What have been some of the, uh, the eye-popping uh, uh, four- and two-wheeled candy that you've seen down there so far? I mean, uh, apart from the, the the great Ducatis that we're riding, I mean, the cars down here last night were just absolutely incredible. And there was a little bit of everything. There was supercars. There was uh, some, some beautiful classic saloons. There was classic sports cars. I mean, there's a. I'm standing here. I'm standing here quite close to a, a Goldwing Mercedes, which is an iconic car. I can see a, a Ferrari Daytona in the distance as well. Uh, for me, the standout car is the um there's a light blue maserati ghibli uh which i absolutely adore and would absolutely love to put in my garage if they would uh, share the keys with me but uh, i don't think they will um and we've also got dubai police here as well they've got some of their cars on the rally as well some of their uh, supercars so uh they're uh, they're looking forward to joining in as well so uh it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good fun yeah now of course the the, the mille mille it's an italian word that literally means 1000 miles that was the original race through through italy from from rome to back down to brescia and back to rome do you know the distance of this one and and are you going through all seven emirates or, or how is it being played out no we're so uh, i think we're today we're doing about a couple of hundred kilometers i think we are going via hatta and jebel jace and then ending up uh, it's a bit of a, a convoluted route obviously with it being a rally um it's not straight there uh but we will be at the top of jebel jace at one point and also in hatta so there's a lot of twisty roads i mean i know that area very well and uh, we should be uh, we should we should have some fun especially the guys in the older cars should be enjoying that so uh, jebel jace will be a challenge for some of the really old cars because uh, the brakes aren't uh, aren't up to the standards of modern cars, but uh, I think going up they'll be fine. But coming down, you, uh, you might want to stand back. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it about about people that sort of draw themselves to this kind of thing with classic car rallying? And and I mean, you know, it it, it is a in some ways it's a recipe for disaster. You and I have both been around old cars long enough to know that that it is likely that things are going to break <laughs> at some point. But there are also some modern cars taking part in this one, which is quite unique to uh, to the UAE. Mm. So, so what, what what makes this race a little bit different from the the classic Italian rally? I think that the the Mille Miglia itself in Italy is taken very seriously. Uh, people set out to try and you know win it and try and get to the front. Uh, people you know people really do time themselves down to the last microsecond. Uh, this I think is very much a social event. Uh, uh, you, as you say, you and I were here last night, and it was like a gathering of uh, everybody that we knew from the uh, you know, from the automotive and media industries and uh, classic car side of things. So it's it's really turning out. I think it's a real proper uh, social event. Uh, this morning at breakfast, everyone was sitting together, enjoying themselves, having a coffee, and uh, you know, sort of a few uh, you know, egg on toast type things, and uh, really enjoying themselves. So it's it's a bit of a social. Uh, there's a big um, dinner, gala dinner tonight at the hotel in Fujairah. So uh, I think there's a lot of camaraderie as part of the uh, you know as, as part of the event. Uh, but also it's a chance to get these cars out and stretch their legs a little bit because a lot of these cars sit around in garages uh, a lot 
for a lot of the year, especially during the summer months. So it's a good opportunity to actually get them out and see them. Yeah, and, and I guess that that's another thing. The the Italian race is, is famously known for running on public roads that are open to the public. Is is that going to be the case this time? I know Dubai Police have been fantastic partners in getting this event happening. Will you get the chance to go onto closed sections of roads, or will you be mixing it with the traffic? Oh, we're actually mixing it with the traffic. So uh, there's some people are going to get a shock today when they're driving their uh, normal saloon and, uh, up into the mountains, and they suddenly get passed by by an Austin Healey and a 300 SL and an old Ferrari and a, and a supercar all, all uh, following each other through the mountains and a few bikes as well, obviously as well. But uh, yeah, it's um, uh, and even a Dubai police car, a fully marked up uh, supercar as well. So it's going to be um, it's going to be an interesting mix. Um, but yeah, it is on open roads. Um, hence the fact that it's not a, a race, it's a timed rally, so yeah. Yeah, of course, Dubai Police were, were involved in the... Uh, they actually went over to Italy earlier this year, or last year, rather, and took part in the uh, in the Italian Mille Miglia, took the Dubai Police cars over there. Have you seen uh, any uh, competitive-looking police guys hanging around there this morning? I have, actually. I'm standing, actually, <laughs> from where I'm standing, I can see the uh, Dubai Police R8, and I can actually see the... Uh, Dubai Police SLS Mercedes that they took to the Mille, the actual Mille Miglia in Italy, and it's still got some of the stickers on it, and it's in the, it's in today's rally as well. So that car is going to be fairly unique in that it will have done both rallies um, and uh, will be taking part, you know, um, probably in the future ones as well. So. So, so come on, Noel. Tell me about your your, your motorcycle. It's the, as I said, it's part of the career Ducati team. Uh, what is the bike? Have you made any modifications to it? How's your How's your tough preparation been for this one? My my preparation was last night. Finally, getting around to reading the uh, road book. As I say, being on a bike, it's a little bit tricky. The bike is standard, um, but it's a uh, Ducati Diavel. Uh, which is a big, um, they call it a techno cruiser, which is a bit of a uh, made up uh, sort of genre that uh, Ducati seem to have created. But it's a cross between a sports bike, a cruiser and a road sort of uh, bike, I guess. Um, but it's very comfortable, which is the main thing, because we're going to be doing a lot of kilometers today. Um, the only modification I've made to it is to add a phone holder to the uh, handlebars so that I know where I'm going. <laughs> so you haven't been on the phone to the likes of Michelin or Pirelli to get some uh, some sticky qualifying tyres? It's, it's not that kind of event? <laughs> no, no, exactly. And interestingly, the Diavo has got a special tyre made by, I believe it's Pirelli, but uh, I hope it's Pirelli, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble on that one. Um, it's a one-off tyre made specifically for the Diavo. And if anyone knows anything about motorcycles, they'll know that the biggest tyre you see on, a, on, a, on the rear of a bike is usually a 190, maybe a 200. And this has a 240 rear tyre on it. So it's actually wider than a lot of car tires. Let's put it this way. It's interesting in the corners. It's extremely fast in a straight line, although uh, obviously we won't be testing that too much on the uh, public roads. Uh, but, uh, yeah, cornering is... Uh it's a bit. It's got more of a Harley rear end, I suppose, than a than a standard sports bike rear end. But uh, it's uh, it's a great bike to ride. Very comfy, as I say. And uh, yeah, I, sh- I should be uh, I should be good on that. Yeah. So that was Noel Ebden seconds before he took off this morning in her, on his Ducati. Have you spotted the Mille Miglia around the Emirates so far? If you've got any favourites out there, give us a call. Let us know. Get in touch. Four double zero one. And I'm going to see him tomorrow. With uh, thanks to the team at Octanium. Yes, I'm back. And uh, this is Damien Reed. I'm with you. And a bit rusty after. 
after a few weeks of holiday there, but uh, we're back behind the desk for Motormania. And a big thanks to Tom Urquhart, who was in the driver's seat while I was away. For those of you who are just tuning in, Motormania is the only interactive car show on UAE Radio. We give you the motoring advice. We talk about what's happening in the car world, and we let you have a voice on road safety issues. And we'll be keeping you company. So here's what's uh, coming up. And uh, first, we're going to be discussing on how not to get duped when buying a car. What are some of the red flags to look out for? And if you're thinking of selling your car, what are some things to consider to make sure that you get the most of the sale? Vlad Maholziv from CarSwitch will join us later to give us the lowdown on that one. It's been described as the most beautiful race in the world, and it starts today, and it's right here in the UAE, and that is the Mille Miglia. It traditionally takes place over a 1,000 miles in Italy, hence its name, and uh, it is in the UAE for the country's jubilee year, passing by Expo 2020 a little later today. So if you're out there, keep an eye out for some stunning cars coming through. We'll also be chatting about my own car restoration project, something that's been keeping me busy while I've been away from the mic for uh, the past few weeks. And uh, it's a story that has its own link to the Mille Miglia and a lot of work went into that car. It's a 69 Alfa Romeo GDV back there in Australia. If you're planning your own restoration project, please feel free to join in and chat and ask questions and we can uh, we can compare pain stories about restoring older cars. We'll also be talking all things off-roading, all the basics. Do you have to, um, what do you need to take um, for, for off-roading? Do you need to take lessons to go off-roading? That's the thing. You do. You have to take lessons to, to, to drive on a track and to drive quick. What about off-roading? What's a good entry-level vehicle? What are some of the best off-roading spots in the Emirates? It's a beautiful time of the year to get out there. What are your favourite spots? I'm going to be joined by Saif Khan, the founder of Off-Roaders AE, for that one. And we've got that and a whole lot more. But uh, right now, it's, uh, it's a time for a bit of... Uh, Fix it or flip it. Yeah, it's the craziest part of Saturday morning radio. So uh, tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? Well, it's pretty easy. We need details about your car. We need the make, we need the model, we need the year, we need the colour, and we need the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. But I'm not doing this all on my own, of course not. I'm going. To, I'm now being joined by valuation guru Matthew Davison, who is head of pricing at Algo Driven. And uh, Matthew, it's been a long time. Good morning. How are you? Well, what can I say? Welcome back, Damien. <laughs> Thank you very much. But I understand you're also a very happy man right now. You have actually just picked up a new Tesla. Well. If you think back, I think it was uh, October or November when I ordered it and we chatted. And I said I just ordered the Model Y and it came yesterday. I've, ba- I've barely driven it. So uh, I can't give you too much feedback on the car apart from it looks fantastic. Um, I think in uh, a fortnight when I've had a couple of weeks behind the wheel, I'll give you my, my full assessment of it. But yes, I finally succumbed to the world of EV. What was what was the turning point that made you go with uh, with a Tesla over other other EV options out there? Um, well, specifically for the Tesla, it's just that I I think they're they're years ahead of everyone else with their software. Particularly, I mean, if you look at Tesla, have been at this uh, since two thousand and eight, and all of those cars that they've had on the road around the world have been sending back data to Tesla. So I think it's going to be very hard even for the legacy manufacturers to catch up on that. And I just see Tesla from a software perspective being light years ahead. Actually, for styling and for build quality, I, I don't believe um, they're, they're as close as the, the legacy manufacturers, who, of course, have had history to, to 
to build a car that is solid and is luxurious. But um, the, the main reason actually for me choosing um, EV in general was a financial one. Um, you look at current fuel prices uh, driven by $100 a barrel oil. And uh, I look at the fact that I can recharge my EV for next to nothing. I don't have servicing. There is no real servicing with the car. Uh, for the next four years, it's under a warranty anyway, and eight years for the battery and drivetrain. So I, I looked at it as, as uh, financial for me that I, I believe I'll save money. And also that I can get to experience as a car guy, I can give my feedback to what it's like to own an EV. I've spent my life in ICE cars. Now I can start to give my opinion on EV a lot stronger. Yeah, it's an interesting point. A friend of mine in Australia actually has um, has just done his yearly budget having owned a Tesla for the first 12 months, and it came to 0.00 in terms of expenditure on that car for the past year. And it's something we talked about yesterday on the agenda with Tom Urquhart, who's been uh, filling in while I've been away. He's been running around in a a Volvo uh, XC40 uh, EV for the past few days, and he said that you know his normal vehicle, Nissan Patrol, a bit of a gas guzzler, and it got to that point that the petrol prices are rising so much that he's like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to try an EV out compared to uh, you know the, the the big gas guzzlers that we normally get into. So you're in, um, you're not a lone soldier with with both of those thoughts. Yeah, and I think that hats off to the UAE. They are behind EV, and there's more and more charges appearing everywhere in the malls, in hotels, and, and you know things like uh, rest stops out on on the highways is actually. Um, a supercharger that's gone in at the last exit on Shakeside Road as you go past the uh, Dubai Park and Resort. So, um, you know, if you get if you get to a supercharger, I mean, you're looking at 30 minutes maximum, and you've got a full charge. So by the time you've had a coffee, um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to to giving, you know, as I said, genuine feedback on the experience, and and certainly in a fortnight's time, we'll be able to talk about it. And I definitely will be reaching out to you to grab a coffee and, and letting you have a. A good look at the Model Y to give your opinion of it and have a have a quick drive I, as well. I would love to and definitely take you up on that and um, and very much keen on on getting your feedback as uh, an ownership experience of a Tesla. I think that'll be great great information for uh, for everyone listening into the show. But let's get started. Uh, we're going to start first with a a message from Anna. I have a 2004 Pajero bought from its first owner back in 2020 at an incredibly low price. It was well maintained and I faced no major issues until I found out from its recent car service that its gearbox needs replacement. Mileage is just under 180k and I haven't really considered selling it. However, I'm afraid maintaining it would prove to be costly than getting a more recent model. Please help. Thank you. <laughs> a plea from help from Anna. Oh, and 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 Damien, what a great question! And <laughs> and the answer may surprise. Um, I would fix this car, and I'll give you several reasons. I mean, its value in the market right now still is at least fifteen thousand, so it's definitely economical to to repair it. Um, the biggest problem is is what do you replace it with? Because there's so little inventory out there in the used car market at the moment at a good price. So look, I don't know the extent of the gearbox issue, but um, you can get a Pajero gearbox completely re- rebuilt in, in Sharjah. I wouldn't do it in Dubai. I'd do it in Sharjah. They, they really know what they're doing, and you get a lot more bang for your buck. I can't specifically recommend because I remain neutral, but you can do your Googling and reviewing of, of, of gearbox repair for Mitsubishi and Sharjah. Another top tip is join the Pajero Club UAE on Facebook. There's about eight 9,000 members on there, and you can then ask that question I want to rebuild my gearbox and charge you any recommendations. 
you're looking at, depending on the problem with the gearbox, anything between 2000 and 6000 to rebuild it. Um, that is a far better option than selling that car and then going out to try and find something, because I think it sounds a particularly good car, still under 200,000 kilometers, and, you know, it's an 18-year-old car. So I think that's a better option for Anna, and, um, yeah, she's she's got some help there if she joins the Pajero Club UAE on Facebook. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, we've got online now, we've got uh, Vikash. Vikash, uh, tell us about your Nissan Tita. Uh, hi guys, uh, so I have this Nissan Tida. Uh, my wife is the first owner. Uh, the model is 2015 blue color car 1.6 XV and we have driven it around 150,000 kilometers. And now we are looking for a new car so we want to sell it off and I mean as for the information out there, this is a good time to sell your second, I mean old car because you probably get better prices this, at this moment of the year. So I need your uh, opinion on like how much I should price it uh, for selling. Yeah, well, you're right there, uh, uh, Vikash. It is a good time to if you've got a, a used car to sell in the current climate. So, uh, w- what do you suggest, Matthew? Hi, good morning. Uh, this this is obviously a, a desirable car to sell. Um, for you, it's a good time to get out because it's seven years old and, and the kilometres are, are creeping up there. But for somebody buying, it's at a price point where a lot of people can can jump in. Uh, SV is a good trim. It's it's um, a high spec trim for the Tida, and you're looking at around thirty thousand dirhams for that car. Um, I, I, if you want to sort of make it a little bit more attractive, just put it straight under thirty thousand twenty nine five hundred. But that will move relatively quickly. There's not a lot of Tidas on the market, and the SV trim is very desirable. How does that sound, Vikash? Uh, that sounds really good. Like you know, uh, when I talked to some brokers, they were definitely offering very low but this is something which is um, quite promising so i'll try to do that and thank you so much for your advice no problem don't forget vikash you're in the driving seat with this one uh people want to buy your car so uh don't don't be uh don't be swayed by low ballers out there you, you've you've got a, a car that, that will sell very quickly Thank you, thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, now we go straight to uh, to Claire. Claire, you have a, uh, a Ford Mustang, I believe. Um, there's got a few few issues with it in terms of the scratches and things, but but what are you looking for? Um, so basically, um, I've had the car since 2014, and I do love my Mustang, but I think it's time to upgrade to a family car, which is quite sad. But um, it is... As I said, 2014, it's got about 126,000 kilometers on it. So I don't think the mileage is that high. Um, it is a ruby red color. Inside's been well kept. It's agency maintained. But there are a few things here and there just from general wear and tear. Um, so I wonder what, what is the, the going price for something like that? And also, if you could suggest a family car, that would be great. Matthew, what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> Morning, Claire. Um, I, I need a few few answers before I can help you. Um, is it GCC a car? Is it bought from the dealer here? It's not yeah, American yeah, Specs. It's from the, no, no, no. So it's bought from the dealer here in Dubai. Uh, Altair. Okay, three point seven V six or five liter V eight. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, it's a three point seven V six. Okay, perfect. Right, we can get moving. Um, yeah, good time to sell with those kilometers as well. An eight-year-old car, that's certainly... I think the value 
probably would be around 50,000 right now. That should move that car. I I, I mean, you're a one-owner car. Um, That has got to be one of your main selling features. You bought it from um, Ford here, Altea, and you you are the single owner. That's very attractive. So make that prominent in your advertising. Family car, I mean, uh, would you be okay with five seats? Um, So we currently have a Ford Edge. Um, yes. So uh, five seats, uh, seven seats when family come, maybe. We're, we're, yeah, it's, we're on, it's on, a we're, good we're chance at. to look at that because you don't, you know, you don't have to have a, a permanent requirement for seven seats because then you benefit from the extra space when you're going shopping, etc. But when family do come into town, then you've got that ability to move everyone around. If you wanted to yeah. stay with Ford, obviously the logical car to look at is the Explorer. Um, seven-seater, okay. but if you wanted to go outside of, of Ford and look at something a little bit different, I would definitely look at the Japanese or Koreans, and particularly something like uh, Hyundai. Hyundai um, would be something along the lines of Santa Fe, seven seats, oh, okay. um, economical to to run and easy to resell. Um, so, you know, looking looking at Ford, it's, it's obviously Explorer and something like an XLT trim would be more than enough. You don't have to go to Limited or Sport. But um, yeah. I would look strongly at the Korean brands, as I said, like um, like the Hyundai uh, Santa Fe. Uh, and that's that's definitely worth looking at. Um, you know, outside of that, you can then stay um, with Japanese and, and look at um something like the Nissan or, or Toyota. I mean, Toyota Fortuna, again, uh, seven seats, um, easy to resell and, and good and economical to run. Perfect. That's great help. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much, Claire. Be like Claire and uh, text us at 4001 or via the ARN player. This is Fix It or Flip It. And uh, we've got uh, a, a lot more coming up to you, for you earlier, later this, uh, this this morning. But first, we're going to go across straight now to uh, to Peter, who's on the line. Uh, now, Peter has uh, a couple of very in-demand Toyotas that you want some uh, valuations for. I'm going to hand it over to you, Peter. Good morning. Um, yeah, I need to make a decision as to which one of the two vehicles I'm going to sell. So the, the first one is a FJ Cruiser, uh, a GXR. Uh, bought them from Futain, both of the vehicles. Um, 44,000, no, sorry, 73,000 kilometers on the clock, and it's a, it's a white one. Okay, so that's that's a, an FJ Cruiser 2017, you say, GXR, white with uh, 73,000 kilometers. Matthew, always in demand, these cars. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're not going to uh, have any difficulty whatsoever selling that car, um, Peter. Um, I would say the value currently is around 110,000, but you've got to be really careful with these cars because you, you, you're going to get lowball because all of the freelancers and people that, that see this online will know that they can make a lot of money very quickly with it. So hold your ground. Um, you know, put it on something like 109, 110, and don't sell it for less than 105 for sure. Um, but that that is a sought after car. Um, what what was the second car you had? Did you say it was a it's a Land Cruiser twenty nineteen uh, forty four thousand on the clock. Well, yeah, this is like GXR. a full house in poker. So that's also GXRV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is in 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 the car world. This is what we call a full house. I mean, uh, there's the highest spec trim, of course, the VXR. But you know, this the GXR is a is a great trim and, and very desirable. Um, this car is probably more along the lines of being the 19, about 215, 220 in terms of value. Um, I mean, it, you know, 
I think you get a lot more flexibility from the Land Cruiser in terms of moving your family around. It's a much bigger vehicle, easier to get in and out of than the uh, the suicide doors on the FJ Cruiser. But look, mm-hmm. um, that know that you'll, uh, you're you're going to hold on to the value of either one, whichever you sell. I'd probably move the FJ on simply because it's older for no other reason. Uh, and uh, I'd keep the Land Cruiser because we're going into a period for at least two or three more years where used car prices will hold their value. And that 19, then you can enjoy the benefit and security of the warranty um, and then move it on in a couple of years. So, yeah, 110 and let's move the FJ Cruiser. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Well, I hope that uh, certainly helps. But uh, on the line now, we have uh, we have Neil. Now, Neil's got a question about uh, restoring his car. It's a, it's a Jeep Grand Cherokee 2001. I understand, Neil, it's, uh, it's got a fair few kilometres on it, 280,000 kilometres. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, hi, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. Uh, we, uh, we've had this car in the family since 2003. Bought it very, my wife bought it at, with about 20,000, 30,000 clock. So it's, a, it's an emotional uh, attached, a car where I'm emotionally attached to. And I, um, I've come so close as to scrapping it. That's literally, I mean, it, it runs perfectly okay. It's actually had an engine replaced with a Japanese import, and it really is tired now. So it's at the stage where you just literally either throw it away or say, you know what, let's, let's have a bit of fun and do a, a, a proper restoration to rebuild the motor. The gearbox is running fine. The suspension needs to be pushed up, um, um, uh, beefed up, so I'm looking at maybe doing a two-inch uh, uh, rise. Uh, in two-inch lift at least, and putting in poly bushes, etc. So there's, there'd be a, there'll be a fair amount of money to be spent. I would assume probably in the region of say forty or fifty thousand dirhams. But then for that, you've got a pretty good car um, and and, a, and something that's obviously there's this emotional attachment to. It's not a rational decision. The other option is to sell it and buy. And we're looking at something like a super safari. Okay, so it would be a completely a buy a new car or take this one and, and fix it up. And I'm so torn because I you know I know the risks involved with going out and doing these things because you end up, you know, there's a lot of other little things that start failing and I'm aware of that. But my biggest fear and the question I wanted to ask was, was if I do an engine rebuild and I know you don't want to mention names, but I'm just nervous about finding guys that'll do a proper, do the, you know, do the job justice because there are a lot of guys out there that claim they can do it properly. But in fact, they're not, you know, they're not going to go about the entire process of stripping down and rebuilding the motor with the correct parts you know, and the uh, proper gaskets and Mopar parts for that matter, uh, to ensure that the car can at least run for another 150, 200,000 K. So I just, I don't know where to go to get this thing done. You know what I mean? And that's the part that makes me so nervous. I'm actually not that bothered about spending the money, but I just don't want to spend the money and end up two years down the line having to start all over again. So I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, to- totally understand where you're coming from with that, uh, Neil. Now, first thing is, is um, this is, not your daily cars, so you can afford to keep it off the road if you want to go through this process. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, have some fun with it. If you're going to have another daily to to run around with. Have some fun with this. Um, it's it's an in demand vehicle, the, the the Grand Cherokee. Uh, especially if you want to play with it, and as you say, put the two inch lift kit on it, and uh, you know, uh, improve it beyond the manufacturer's specifications of the day, as you say, with the you know with the the, the, the new you know poly bush replacements and that sort of thing. Um, now, in terms of a full engine rebuild, you're right. You need to do your due diligence on this. And my, my advice, I guess, would be to to get onto the social media outlets, get onto the the off roading sites on Facebook and and, and Instagram, um, and also the Jeep clubs and that sort of thing around the area, and just sort of get a feel as as the feedback. Put it out there on the on, on a couple of notice okay. boards to see what's there, and get yep. the feedback from those guys because there are 
Yeah, you, you've got to be careful on it. I, I can think of a couple of names out there that, that will probably do an okay job. But, um, but you know, you, you, my advice is that, or, or of course, you know, um, if you hang around with us on the show, we're going to be speaking later on to uh, to our off-roading expert, uh, uh, Saif Khan, later on. And uh, okay. we can put it to him as well and find out maybe we might be able to get you an answer there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and a great show, guys. It's great listening to, to everyone's, uh, you know, stories and cars and stuff like that. I love it. I oh, appreciate that, Neil. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, and good luck with the with the restoration. Uh, now, Matthew, it looks like you're not the only proud owner of a new Tesla here. Uh, after your little chat, Mark actually called in to uh, to ask this question. Hello. Good morning. My wife just bought a Tesla, the Tesla Y. We actually will pick it up in a couple of days. We're really excited. And now she wants to sell her car. It's a very old car, but she has kept it in really good conditions. It's a BMW Series 1, black, as it looks brand new, but it's from 2005 and it's got uh, 80,000 kilometers. How much can she get for it? It's working well. Everything works perfectly. The only thing is that it's old, but it looks super new. Thanks a lot. So what do you think, Matthew? Um, A familiar story? Well, I'll be flashing my lights at them when I pass them on the road, fellow Y driver. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be quite a few Ys. You know, remember my prediction? I said it will be the best-selling EV in the world. I'm, I stand by that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, that Y, that uh, sorry, that Y, that BMW One Series uh, is probably worth uh, ten to twelve thousand. Um, it's not going to to uh, depreciate much more than that, actually. But um, it's one of those things where do you keep it as if it's running okay? Do you keep it as a, sort of a, a second car and and a run around until you're really um, used to the world of EV, like we were talking at the top of the show, um, or do you just not have the space and want to move it out? And if, if that is the case, yeah, I think you know any anything between twelve thirteen thousand would be absolute mm. tops it may even suffer a bit less than that but there's just um the one series it is tired um and you know that the 118 um that that engine of uh, it's a 118 which was the, the most common one sold here that's it's quite underpowered as well but yeah um if, yep. if you've got no more need for it move it on and you'll be looking at, at around uh 13,000 maximum. Okay, yeah, you'd be looking at a huge performance gain too if it, if it is the one one eight over the Tesla. So uh, yeah, yeah for um, sure. you can see that. So uh, that's how it works. It's easy. Just give us a, a call. Give us the make, the model, the year, the color, the mileage. Send them to four double zero one. This is Motor Mania. Listen to us on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight. Fix it or flip it. That's it. Uh, tell us how your tell us about your car and tell us how much it's worth. How does this work? Like we said before, we need the make, we need the model, we need the year, we need the colour, we need the mileage. As much information as you possibly can give us, send it to four double zero one or via the ARN Playback or uh, Play App. And uh, I am joined by. Um, Valuation guru, Matthew Davison. Matthew, I've got a very quick one here. It's a text message that's come in. I have a 1990 Honda CRX right-hand, right-hand drive, and that's the full amount of the text from, uh, from Anand. Um, what a great little car that was. What, what, have, have you had the experience to get behind the wheel of one of these little things? No, I didn't. But, you know, they, they were really, really cool. And uh, I don't know how many of those were sold in the UAE. I mean, it's bound to be an import, uh, but um, being a right-hand drive. But um, yeah. that, that car, you know, we talk about all the time what these type of cars are worth. I mean, we, we obviously have no visibility of anything on that car in terms of, the you know, the condition, which is everything when it comes to an older car. Um, 
but that is so specific that you would you would need to get out there and and get not just on local forums but international forums because the likelihood of that car selling here is actually quite slim um, yeah. being a right-hand drive uh, in fact you know it, it would have to be a, a collector that wants it i don't really see that happening here um but there'll be people around the world that will be chasing them i can see it even potentially going back to japan yeah um it, it would be but near impossible to run here on the road, I, was, I would suspect. I mean, you could use it here as a, maybe as a track day car for a bit of fun at, at one of the racetracks around the region. Um, but uh, getting a right-hand drive car registered here, unless it's a, a classic um, that you you know join with the classic car clubs and, and do it through the affiliation that way, um, it's, it's a tough call. Yeah, it has to be registered as a classic. Um, but as, as I say, to sell it, you, you need to get out amongst um, – the the world uh, forums for for the crx and and just look at what um people are saying get a lot of detailed information about the car on there but it definitely will will be exported out of the country uh, i'm surprised it's here to start with actually yeah i mean they 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 revved a high heaven i remember driving one back in the day and uh um just a fantastic little car but uh yeah it's it's a it's a tough ask to try and move one here uh now i've got on the line uh i have Roshan, and Roshan, you have a GCC spec uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee 2017, uh, an SRT model. Tell us a little bit about this one. Yes, hi. Um, yeah, Roshan, tell us about your uh, your Grand Cherokee. Yeah, so so I've got a, um, I, I call it a beast, <laughs> a very <laughs> powerful 6.4 litre uh, SRT, the GCC uh, model is 20, 2017. Uh, so basically, you know, with the, I've got a lot of um, uh, run around nowadays lately in past four or five months. So um, I'm just thinking with the, um, I've got two questions. Now, there is a myth. They say the engine itself is so big, you need to put super fuel in it. You cannot put special. So that's the first question I have. It's, it's best, is, yeah, if you do, do put the better fuel in it, yeah. Okay, and the second question is uh, if uh, if I like to sell, is it a good time or should I retain it? Uh, well, I can answer the first one. I'll pass it on to Matthew for the second one. For the first one, yeah, I mean, with, with an engine like that, it's you know you're spending so much on money on a car, and and, and you're you've got the top end model, you've got the the big six point four V eight. Honestly, Roshan, it's the cheapest insurance you can get. That and, and frequent oil changes, I say to people all the time, it's the cheapest insurance you can get to maintain the integrity of the car. Pay a bit more at the Bowser and you won't have to, uh, you, you know, you'll, it, it will look after you in the long term. Um, but Matthew, what do you suggest about devaluations? Yeah, uh, great advice, Damien. Um, uh, the highest grade fuel and the highest grade fully synthetic oil and regular oil changes for an engine, which really is the wheelhouse of that car. I've owned a beast, as you call it. I, I had um, the SRT for about 18 months back in 2015 to 2016. So I know this car super well. Currently, um, it, it, you know, I, I didn't catch the kilometers. Uh, it's 83,000. Okay, value-wise, I think it's about 170, 175, uh, based on those kilometers. Um, there's not huge amounts out there on the market. I mean, people really like them because the power is just exhilarating. I mean, I don't think in the entire time I owned that car, I didn't um, do anything but smile. I mean, it, it gives tremendous smiles per miles, uh, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, with the fuel prices the way they are at the moment, 
and uh, and I imagine you might have a slightly heavy heavy foot because I know I did. Uh, I would say that it's a good time to move that car on, particularly as it's just hit five years old. So, yeah, you're looking around 170, 175 for the for the price, but uh, I think it's time to move on. Thank you, guys. Great. Thanks very much, Roshan. And uh, Faris, uh, Faris, you have a Mercedes-Benz C-Class 2014. What are your intentions with this car? Yes. Hi. Good morning. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Damien. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, this is my second car, and I have the 2014 Mercedes C-Class, and it needs some repair in terms of hydraulics and suspension. So... They are uh, uh, not Gargash, but another uh, another uh, uh, a shop that is well known here in Dubai for German cars is offering twenty five twenty to twenty five thousand to repair the suspension. It's uh, I'm using the car, but it's just minor repair, but it's worth twenty to twenty five thousand for repair. So I'm thinking, shall I sell it or shall I repair it? This is the question. Yeah, Matthew, this is a tough one, isn't it? You, you, this is the thing when you get with uh, some European models or even even Japanese models when they get to a certain age, it reaches that tipping point, doesn't it? The value against a repair and a major job. Yeah, economics. Um, that's the name of our show. Do you fix it or flip it? Um, <laughs> exactly. is, it is it the C200, the 1.8? Yes, it is. Okay, and what's the kilometres now? 126,000. All right. If the if the if the car was running okay without problems, its market value is around fifty five thousand dirhams. Um, to answer your question about fixing it, a lot of people just take the first um, quote they get and take that as as completely uh, the right one. It never usually is. Go out and get at least two more quotes. And also, when you're getting these quotes, say, look, um, I might be selling this car. I don't I don't need it to be, you know, the most perfect, um, you know, original parts, everything, because aftermarket parts are completely fine on a 2014 car. It doesn't have to be um, OEM parts. So look at options to actually fix it in the most economical way um, and then decide um, whether you want to sell it and understand that the value is at fifty five thousand. Um, but I, I would definitely get a couple more quotes if you haven't already done so, because, you know, e- even I, I know this car relatively well. And, and, you know, even if you've got a major suspension issues, I can't see you spending anything like 25K to fix it. So get a couple more quotes uh, and then you can make your final decision. Oh, that's good. Great, excellent. Well, good luck with that, Ferris. I hope it. Uh, I hope that's some some good advice because, um, yeah, it's 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 never a, an easy issue. But I'm I'm glad you uh, you phoned in and 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 uh, took took a bit of advice from. Her. I hope it goes well for you. Um, now, Matthew, I've got uh, this text message that has come in, and um, it says, "I'm looking to sell my Jaguar F Pace Pure. It's a 2017 model, seventy eight thousand kilometres on the clock. What sort of value do you think uh, this person could get? I don't have a name on this one, but yeah, what do you think?" That's no problem. Uh, we're here to help everyone. In terms of, uh, you know, the Jaguars that are here, and I do stress it in, in the UAE because my opinion is a bit different outside of the UAE, but the F-Pace is one of the few Jaguars I actually like. Um, mm. that I think they did a half-decent job with. Um, Value-wise, um, if it's the Prestige, that car would be worth around 125, 130. Um, 
I think it will move quite quickly because I, I think it's, as I said, it's not just my opinion as well. A lot of people like the F pace. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, it is a slice of luxury at a really a affordable price compared to what the competition is out there. Um, but I think it, it will move relatively quickly and, and you'll be looking around that one, two, five price. Yeah, that's that's not too bad. In fact, I was I had an F pace for a couple of weeks when I was back home in Australia just to uh, to to get around. And uh, yeah, you know, the, especially with the, the the current generation too, they 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 fixed up a few of the issues that were in the, in the earlier ones, such as the uh, the center console that um, that had the the haptic touch display didn't quite work as uh, as it said on the tin all the time. But they've kind of fixed that, and I actually enjoyed uh, getting around in that for for a week or two as well. Yeah, the late ones also fixed the issue with the sticky switches. I mean, that's, that's, exactly that's not a Jaguar. Yeah, yeah that's not a, a Jaguar issue anyway. That's uh, a general uh, problem with heat, etc. out here. It's to do with the oils in the plastic actually leaking Oh, yes, out. with the hard switches as uh, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of manufacturers that particularly are a little bit more focused on the Middle East have actually realized that and 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 looked at different options for switches. But look, I think I think for people listening, looking at considering buying that car, you know, for for a hundred and twenty, hundred and twenty-five thousand, I don't think you'll get much more uh, luxury and, and, and performance for yeah. that money. Yeah, for sure. Well, stick around. We'll be back with Matthew to tell you whether to fix it or flip it. We need your details: the make, the model, the year, the colour, and the mileage. We'll also give you car advice. So, text in any car problems you might have, and we'll see what we can do to sort that one out. Send it to four double zero N or via the ARN Play app. Fix it. Or flip it. Yes, that's right. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. It's that simple. All we need is the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, as much information as you've possibly got. Send it to 4001 or via the ARM playback. And I'm joined by valuation guru Matthew Davison. And, uh, Matthew, I've got a call back from the the, uh, the, the Honda CRX. And uh, we've got uh, Paddy on the line. Paddy says that it's a 1990 Honda CRX. Uh, Paddy, tell us a little bit more about your CRX. Hi, Aaron. Good, good. So uh, you've got quite a little gem there, but it's a right-hand drive. How, how did you come about owning it? Uh, I brought it in from Japan into Dubai, and I have it about a year, and it's 1990 model. It's gun barrel grey, 63,000 kilometres, um, and it's uh, 1.6 SRI. Right, okay. Not many of those around, Matthew. Um, no. What, what could you think as, as a going price for this one? Bear in mind, though, as, as, as Paddy mentioned in the earlier text, it is a right-hand drive. Yeah. Yeah. Morning. Thanks for calling in. It's great to talk to you. Um, look, yeah. this car is super rare. Um, really, really rare, particularly the 1.6. That's the, the VTEC um, yeah. that Damien was saying revs revs i think to about seven and a half thousand rpm as far as I'm, i remember i mean uh look you, you I, you're not you're not going to get the best value for it here unless it's a specific collector and you're going to find out by by searching around on some forums and and getting out there um but you know, you know out into the market what could it be worth is is a very very difficult thing i would my gut feeling tells me I think in dollar terms, when we're talking about selling it internationally, I think it could sell anything between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars. But you know, it's so subjective. If somebody is looking for that car, they're not going to find many options globally. Forget even here. So um, you know, you're you're the one that's that's firmly in in the negotiation seat. Um, but you know, my feeling is based on what you've told me around twenty twenty-five thousand dollars. But 
Um, yeah, I was thinking about to, that. Yeah, and you definitely want to get out onto the US sites, I, I, I think, because uh, they're also left-hand drive, but that's where you get a lot of the collectors shopping around. So not necessarily to ship it over to the US, but just to get out there and, 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 and even post it on a couple of sites. Um, Great, you know, yeah. it, particularly that's where you've got the, the audience. And of course, um, you know, back where it comes from, Japan. But yeah, I think, you know, 20, 25,000 US dollars. Um, but it, 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 you know, that, that's the type of car that you could put in a barn and someone would find it in 40 years and the world would melt down. I think um, also, <laughs> it, it, for sure. For I, I think, sure. I think also, if I could, if I could jump in too, um, back in, uh, it, it try the, the European markets because, you know, the, it, they're more lenient to right hand drive cars in Europe. Yes. Um, and there's a big JDM, you know, groundswell of, 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 uh, fans over yeah, there. Yeah, so, Ireland and the UK does that, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and Ireland has a huge drifting community too. So, uh, right, you know, yeah. some of the, some of the world's best drifters come out of Ireland. Um, mm. it must be your, your salty roads. I'm not sure, but, uh, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ireland, it would be a, be an option as well. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking at the UK and Ireland. But, yeah, he's fairly on the ball. I think it's about 25K, yeah. Brilliant. Well, we hope that's, uh, we hope that's, uh, that's helped answer a few questions for you, Paddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks very much, Paddy. And uh, on the line now, we have uh, Rob. Now, Rob, you're, you're thinking also of going electric or hybrid, and you're asking yeah. um, new or secondhand? Yeah, well, I didn't know if, uh, if there is a secondhand market for uh, electric, yes. There's not many around, but it is obviously it's growing because uh, the, the the new cars have been around for a while, and uh, and and people are getting to the stage of trading. So it's I think Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong. We're we're probably just about six months before that starts to kick off. Yeah, um, there's, there's about a hundred Teslas. I know Tesla a little bit better than the other EVs, although I know there's not many of those around. There's about a hundred Teslas on the second hand market at the moment. The big problem you've got is I know from first hand experience. Uh, you know, I waited six months for mine and I and I used a lot of Wasta as well. You know, I, I called in a lot of favors to get mine a lot quicker. Um, it could even be nine, even uh, nine month wait now. So the ones that are out there, they are they are um, holding their value incredibly well. Um, I mean, if you wanted to get in there, you could get a, a, a model three, which is kind of the the entry entry metal, uh, model uh, for Tesla, but you'd still be looking at uh, at least one hundred and fifty thousand, maybe even one hundred and sixty thousand, where you could spend another twenty twenty five thousand and have an absolute brand new one that you could choose in the color that you want, inside and out, and the performance specs. So, um, if you're thinking of going into EV, um, wait it out. I mean, time does pass. It's frustrating because you're constantly looking at the Tesla app for an update, um, but you know, it will, time will pass. And the great thing about Tesla is this, that their production runs are not fixed by uh, model year, et cetera. So, you know, a, a car that was produced today in the factory next week could have slightly different improved um, battery or slightly different in, improved interior. They're constantly updating it as well. So, yeah, I would. What, what about would, the battery? Uh, Sorry. What, what about the battery? Is that um, is that is, is, is uh, with, with like second hand? Obviously, there'll be some battery life. I mean, my 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 Apple Mac battery's a nightmare at times. But um, is the same with Tesla, or is there any guarantees on battery, or how's that work with second hands? Well, they, you know, they've been around for a while now. I know they've they've got past a million miles. Um, some of their er- earlier cars, so that gives you some comfort. But also, they come with an eight year uh, warranty, uh, eight, oh, eight warranty. years and one hundred sixty thousand kilometers. 
So, I mean, unless yeah. you think you're going to own it much more than eight years, you're pretty pretty well protected anyway. Um, and, and as I said earlier on in the show, I think there's, there's a lot more options for charging than there was a couple of years ago now. I mean, literally every hotel and mall has charges now. And, of course, if you do live in a villa, it's very easy to charge overnight from home as well. How do you have to get the... Sorry, I, I know nothing about the, the electrics. It was just a, a discussion I was having with my wife. Um, do you have to get um, a special charge point in, in, in the villa? What, what do you do? Well, yeah, you, you can you can get it upgraded, but the the um, something um, like uh, the 50 amp of part of your uh, villa that would power, say, a, um, a washing machine or a cooker or something, that's more than sufficient to take a feed off that. An electrician will, will do that for about 500 to 1,000 dirhams. And then you, you can actually get a dedicated Tesla wall charger as well. Um, okay, I've got to be much, careful. I'm, I'm turning into a Tesla salesperson here, which I don't want to do. <laughs> So I, well, I'll, I'll ask you the next question then. Sorry to we'll keep going on. Hybrid, um, um, worth looking at as well or, or just total electric is, is, is where it's at? No, hi, hybrid is, is and, and I know Damien flies a flag really, really uh, vibrantly for, um, for hybrid. I think it's, it's a good intermediate step. And, and certainly, you know, my circumstances are a bit different. But I, I think for the next two to three years, hybrid's even a, a stronger option than maybe even going full electric. So I definitely look at hybrid options. And I know, Damien, yeah. you've driven quite a few recently. Yeah, I think hybrid is a good way to test the waters. If you if you want to go into EV ownership, you can start off with a, you have the safety net with a hybrid that I really like, that you can drive it around town on full 100% EV as much as possible. But then when you do need to go, you know, long runs, you, you can go to petrol. So yeah, that that I like those. Yeah. Any particular good, good, good hybrids? I know you're not meant to advertise, I guess, but give us a clue. Oh, look, you know, there, there are a lot out there. I'd just say get, get, get on board and, and, and have a look around, have a shop around. There are so many out there. Nearly every manufacturer has several, uh, several hybrids on their, on their books now. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you very Brilliant. much. Brilliant. Thank, thanks, thanks very much for that, uh, uh, Rob. Now we're going to go straight to, uh, to Chris and, um, Chris, I believe that uh, you have a uh, Nissan Patrol that you've owned since new. You've got an interesting question you're putting up here. Should you should you buy new or get a newish model with less than ten thousand k? Uh, I got a feeling Matthew, the answer might surprise. <laughs> tell, tell us, Hi, tell us firstly guys. about it, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Morning, guys. How you doing? Um, yes, yeah, so I've had this uh, Nissan Patrol limited edition since since brand new. Um, it's got about one hundred and sixty seven thousand uh, clicks on the clock at the moment. Uh, from my point of view, I just know nothing about cars, and I'm just always mindful if it ever starts going wrong and this kind of thing. So it's really a case of, you know, should I sell? If I did sell, what kind of price would I get? Because I've been to the dealers, and as you probably guessed, you know, you, you get nothing for, for Partex these days. Um, so obviously looking mm. to sell it, and, and then potentially buy Well, I would. I'd just get same, 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 like for like. Um, but it, that, the second question is, do I buy brand new or try and get a, you know, a demo model or something? Yeah. Less than 10k on the clock. So a couple of questions there. Yeah, Matthew, what, what do you think about that? Uh, first one from me is what year is it? Uh, it's 2014. I think it's 2013 model I got in 2014, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you're right to, to consider the fact that it's a nine-year-old car now and, you know, it can and will go wrong you said it's the highest spec so i imagine it's the le um yes in terms of value that car would still fetch probably with those kilometers close to 85 
Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's the, the type of value you you should consider. But the, the the problem you've got now is getting out of that car. What do you get next for that kind of value? Unless you're going to put more money towards the next car, um, and you've obviously got it because you want to move your family around. Um, so again, what do you get into for that kind of value if it's running okay? I mean, the, 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 the secret with with these cars is stay on top of the maintenance, change the oil every six months. That that is 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 insurance for sure, as Damien said earlier. You can leave it for 12 months, but we live in a very uh, dusty environment as well. So I would change the oil and filters every six months. Uh, they're, ge- they're generally decent cars as long as you stay on top of them. Uh, that car will run for a few more years yet. I just, I just have concerns about what, what, you would, what you would get into if you got out of that car. Although that, because what I'm looking to do is, is say, just get uh, a, a, a new uh, Nissan Patrol LE. So that's, that's what I'm looking to do. Um, well, the question is, you know, do I get a brand new model or would you always recommend, you know, trying to see if you can get a, an X demo or something that's got less than 10,000 10, kilometers on the clock, something like that? Well, you know, the, the new Shape Patrol has been out now for, for about 18 months, two years. So, um, you know, there will be some used ones filtering into the market. Be careful you don't buy the ones where the, the dealer has actually um, upgraded them. So they take the old model and they just change the bumpers, etc. Make sure it's an actual authentic newer model. Um, yeah. But I, I, the delta between the new car price and, and what Nissan are currently selling them for and what they're on the used car yeah. market isn't as big as you'd, you'd hope because of the shortage of used cars. So I would yeah. actually consider um, looking at a new one. Um, know that your car's worth 85 in the market. See what they'll offer you as a trade-in because you might have a little bit of power there but if they offer you much less than 75 for a trade-in sell yep. it on the open market because you'll get 85 and and there is also the issue too chris in that um if you're looking to buy near new that the, they will be charging a premium because of the new, because of the shortage in new cars which is the conundrum yeah. then because there it might be very hard to get on the uh, on the waiting list to get a new one so the, the choice is do you do you go on the waiting list um or do you pay a premium for a used one so uh yeah. that's that's what you've got to be uh, got to be weighing up in the meantime well, well, my concern was when I went to see the guys, it was yeah. like, oh, it's 160,000 on the clock now, and, you know, how long is this car going to go for? They yeah. actually did show me a model that some guy had had. It's only about a 10-year-old car, 12-year-old car, but yeah. it actually had 600Ks on the clock. And I said, so, so basically, it'll just go on forever. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm out there as I am. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, look, thank you so much, and um, and I, I don't envy your dilemma right now, but but uh, good luck with your, your new purchase regardless. Great. Well, Matthew, now we're, uh, we're moving on now, and um, let's see how we go how with the speed quote. It's been, it's been a couple of – I might be the rusty one on this one, but let's see how we go. Uh, I yeah, believe you're, go. you're still going. All right, then. So are you ready for this one? Yep, let's go. Okay, let's – All good under let's, the hood. Start this one. There we go. 60 seconds on the clock. It's a Macan S 2017, 36,000 kilometres of the one year warranty. Oh, low kilometres, maybe 180, 180,000. Okay, 2018 Lincoln Navigator Presidential Black, 39,000 kilometres. Oh, desirable, at least 250,000. Okay, a Mazda 2 sedan, 2011, 1.5 litre, second owner, grey, 137,000 kilometres. Not much money, 11, 12,000 dirhams. Okay, 2017 Renault Captur LE, 68,000. It's off-white. Oh, 17 now. That'll be about 35, 36,000. Okay, Nissan Altima, 2.5 litre, 2009, 260,000 kilometres. It's gold. Uh, 2009, not much money. 12, 13,000. 
Ooh, okay. A 2018 Subaru Forester. It's the premier edition. Light grey, 66,000 kilometres. Uh, 70,000. Oh, okay. Hey, okay, I'll, uh, I'll give you one more. The Lexus ES350 Platinum 2018 in black. Oh, that's a nice car. Um, probably late 120s. Say 130 to be safe. Well, there you go, Matthew. That's uh, that's seven. Um, I'll put that down as a, as a, as a rusty one from my end. <laughs> Amazing. Look, we, we'll, uh, we'll crack that on the next show for sure when you're, when you're back to full speed. Definitely, definitely. What are your plans this weekend, Matthew? I play with my new car. I only got it yesterday, so I've got to figure it all out. Um, uh, you know, you talk about range anxiety. Do you know what I've got anxiety and, and sorry, anxiety <laughs> for at the moment is is expos running out. Uh, only forty days to go, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try my hardest to get up to expo as much as I can in the next month. Yeah, you and me both. I've I've got to spend a bit more time out there too, as having been away for a few months, and I uh, want to uh, catch catch it all before it all wraps up fairly soon. So uh, I might bump into you out there at some point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well. Hopefully, we will bump into each other with a with a Tesla and and have a coffee anyway. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Matthew Davis, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. This is Motormania, Dubai one hundred three point eight. Yes, and we're talking off road driving. So, I would like to hear from you. What are uh, where are your favourite off roading spots in the Emirates? Do you have any off roading stories to share? Join the chat. You can ask questions too by getting in touch with us via text on four double zero one, via the ARN Play app, or give us a call zero four eight seven one double five double zero. But right now, I am joined by the founder of Off Roaders AE. Safe Khan. Safe, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Damien, how are you? Very good, thanks. Thanks for uh, for joining us on this beautiful Saturday morning. We should all be out in the uh, off-roading right now. I'm sure we'll head off a little later on. Um, tell us a little bit firstly about Off-Roaders AE. So we're a group of uh, off-road enthusiasts who get together once or twice a week. Uh, in fact, we've got a drive going on right now, so I totally join you when I say that, yeah, missing out. Uh, so we organize trips for absolute beginners, uh, people with a little bit of skill and quite advanced off-roaders where we go out into different parts uh, of the UAE and explore the deserts, uh, have a drive. Fantastic. So yeah, that's the, in a nutshell what offroaders.ae uh, is. So so how, do, I mean, for people who, who are brand new to the Emirates who don't have an, an off-roading background, who's allowed to go off-roading in terms of the age? Do you need a driving license once you're in the desert? What's What's the criteria out there? So essentially, I feel anyone uh, with a capable 4x4 and obviously with a valid UE driving license is um, good to go off-road. However, uh, I would not advise it to an absolute beginner who has no experience. Uh, I would much recommend, uh, you know, instead uh, finding whatever works for you, an institution, maybe a club, and join them. And that's the best way to go out and uh, experience and get to learn the off-roading. Now, obviously, getting into a car and just venturing out in the desert, um, ideally, you would need someone with you. You don't want to head out in the desert on your own. What, what are the measures you take in terms of, uh, of taking less, lessons and, and getting accustomed to, to driving in the desert? Well, I'd recommend uh, there is some desert driving courses out there, but uh, I feel they're quite basic in their nature or... Um, there's the occasional fun drive annual event, which is good. You know, if you want to get out with your family, do it in a very controlled environment, it's good. But ideally, I think uh, off-road uh, clubs are a great place uh, 
where one can join, be in that controlled environment that I spoke about, but yet get to go out, experience the outdoor, uh, the outdoors rather, ex uh, learn some good uh, quality skills on how to operate your four by four, how to get out of tricky situations, you know, things of that sort. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we often talk about when we buy a performance car that we must go to a racetrack and learn how to drive it properly. But, you know, when you head out to the desert, it can be a very dangerous place if you don't know what you're doing, especially if you're on your own. Uh, what are some of the off-roading spots you'd recommend for, for beginners? Uh, for beginners, I'd say don't venture out too far from home. So possibly, if, uh, I mean, I personally live in Dubai, so places like Al-Qudra or Al-Faqa Desert and uh, it's very important to know where you are, what your entry and exit spots are, how you can get, uh, you know, safely to and from, uh, you know, the desert and back home. Yeah, in fact, we've just got a text. Aria has asked, what is the closest off-roading location in Dubai? You mentioned Al-Qudra. You see a lot of, ca a lot of cars out yes. there on a, on a weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Al-Qudra is very popular just because of its accessibility and, uh, you know, the terrain there is, I wouldn't say, overly difficult. Uh to navigate but it can get quite tricky so yeah the first big no would be to never try to go out and venture by yourself or at least if there's not other people around to help you in case you were to get stuck yeah we'll save climbing big red for another day <laughs> in, in terms of of uh, an entry-level vehicle for beginners what what would be the sort of vehicle you would suggest that uh, a first timer would 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 be able to get into I would uh, not want to restrict it at all. I would say most of your all-wheel drive crossovers are also fine to, you know, handle an odd, you know, little al Qudra adventure or a beach expedition or something like that. Uh, even electric vehicles, I've seen they're capable okay. enough to tackle the sand. It's just that you're always worried, what if you were to run out of charge? So, but I'm sure the infrastructure of things like that is still up and coming. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, anything where you can select, uh, you know, 4x4, four four, uh, ideally if it has a, a, a transfer case where you can select 4 low, it's even better. Mm. But, yeah, most of your modern-day crossovers, all-wheel drive, 4x4s four are good to go off-roading. Yeah, so so what are the, some of the tips you'd give someone to, that they need to do to their vehicle before they head out in the desert? You can't just take a car and just bash into the sand. What would, what do you do traditionally when you head off on a, on a Friday or now Saturday morning? I'd say unless you have a certain vehicle that is more road-focused and uh, less off-road-focused that has really big uh, tires, in, by tires I mean uh, the alloy wheels, you want some amount of rubber on your wheels that you can deflate and then uh, you know that helps you uh, exponentially in the sand. Or maybe if it's got a really low bumper and you know the moment you were to venture in it's going to break or you're going to hit it, then maybe that would be some kind of maybe a cosmetic change you'd want to look into. But barring that, more than equipping your vehicle, I would say you need uh, certain tools and certain aids for yourself to be able to navigate or learn how to drive off-road uh, comfortably. And those would be things like, uh, you know, a way to get air in and out of your tires, you know, tire pressure, gauge, uh, some kind of push-to-talk uh, navigational equipment where if you're in a convoy or in one of our club drives, you can receive instructions. People can tell you what to do, what not to do. I'd say mm -hmm. that is uh, 
Yeah. More important, a sand flag is very important because most of the terrain in the UAE is uh, is desert. So just to be able to be spotted by people in your group to know you're over that dune and then the next car can kind of come and approach it. And, and that's a very important thing. You know, you see the cars in the desert and, you, and people wondering why do they have these flags on top of long poles at the back of the car or front of the car. And that's because, yeah, the dunes are so big and they do shift that when you're camping, you know, people like to camp and they camp at the base of dunes, which, you know, can be a, uh, can be a, a bit dangerous at times, but you know you need to be careful when you're coming over the dunes. But also, you be able to, need to be able to see these cars, and and that gives you the chance to sight them from from a long way off. Absolutely. So, and, and as you say, um, uh, uh, air compressors, so you can reinflate the tires around uh, once you do after you do deflate them, because again, you don't want to get stuck on the road when you're heading back with uh, with with no tire pressures in your in in your. Uh, your wheels. So, what are the, what are some of the other than you mentioned there, Kudra? In terms of more difficult places, what are some of the favourite spots around the Emirates that you like to head out to? So, for me personally, I would say uh, places like the Liwa is obviously mother of all uh, deserts, and uh, we're so lucky that we have you know a portion of it here in the UAE, tucked away in Abu Dhabi and very close to the Saudi border. So, that's definitely an all-time favourite. Alcoa is is exciting, but more realistically, as I said, I live in Dubai, so if I was to go about an hour away from home, definitely uh, Al Badair, Swehan, uh, Al Faka is is good. And uh, changing the terrain a little bit, I would say um, some wadis like Wadi Shoka is is an all time favorite. Uh, Jabal Yabir close to close to Jabal Jace is fun. There used to be a nice track we could uh, drive far quite far up the mountain. Wadi Sal is another another good one. So yeah, those are some of my favorites. And, and that's the thing is so much variety too. I mean, you've you've got the sand, but then you've, as you say with the wadis, you've got the rocks and the rocky climate. Of course, being very careful with the with the wadis, you don't go during flood season. Of course, um, what finally finally safe. What's your ideal vehicle that you like to take out there? Oh, uh, again, not being very picky. I've been very uh, pro Toyota, but I'd say Toyotas, Jeeps, Fords. Um, yeah, essentially, again, getting a bit technical. Anything that has a four by four transfer case and you can shift into low. I mean, your Fords, your Dodge Rams, or rather Ram now, uh, Defenders, Nissans, they're all great, uh, great vehicles. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much, uh, Safe. Um, uh, I'm not going to hold you back any longer. I know you've got friends out there off-roading now, uh, but do, thank you so much, uh, Safe Khan, founder of offroaders.ie, and it's a beautiful time of the year to uh, to get out there in the dunes, and I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Up next, though, it is all about the Milamilia and My Car Restoration Project. If you have any questions for me or any of our car experts, do get in touch, 4001. This is Motormania, Dubai Eye, 103.8. Yes, and we're about to get uh, straight into that. Buying and selling a vehicle, I'm with uh, Vlad Musharev, who's the head of business at CarSwitch. Now, CarSwitch helps you buy used cars. They will uh, help you out with uh, inspections, of even comprehensive inspections, assist with finance, service contract, car warranties, but also they'll give you some free advice on buying a used car. So very happy to uh, have you on board. Vlad, uh, good morning. Good morning, Damien. Welcome on this beautiful Saturday morning. So let's talk about buying first, uh, buying cars. Many of our listeners are considering buying a new car. It may be their first or they're looking to upgrade. It's a funny old market right now with with the shortage of cars. What's your take on it? Well, I would say that... uh 
it's it's definitely your choice and uh, whether you want to have the car brand new or you're looking for the value um you know um it's 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 about your own feeling yeah <laughs> so, so 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 then what what would be the like the very first thing a, a buyer should consider when when going around showroom hopping or or checking out online platforms like car switch what's what's the first thing that someone should be looking at well, I would say that your financial uh, situation would be the first thing. Um, whether you want to go for the used car or the new car, that's the very first take of it. Uh, but then, uh, considering the shortage of cars, um, I would say that you need to um, probably feel if um, you know you would like to mm. have the the car that's you know, uh, uh, getting some uh, some money out of your pocket, or um, you know, uh, you're you're saving money buying it. So with used cars, you could probably save some money. Sure, sure. So so then, conversely, then what are some of the red flags that people should be wary of when when buying a car that sort of sort of says, okay, I'm this may not be the car for me after all. Well, I would say that look here, here, here. There are a few of tricks. Um, so you should definitely think about if the car is um, serviced in the agency, um, if the car has a warranty or it doesn't. Um, so that will keep your value of the car. Um, if uh, like you, you should definitely inspect the car um, and um, probably see if you know uh, there was some. Uh, accidents, etc. Um, mm. I would say that um, you should look for a person who can at least explain you if the the car is the right price category or no. Yeah, well, this this is where you guys come into it because you know if you look at um, more modern cars, you know when you lift the hood, you don't really see a whole lot under there. There's a whole lot of just plastic covering over the over the motor and there's so many you know there's it's it's so much you know ecu control computer controlled there so you know to be fair and i'll count myself on under this when you lift the hood of a car it's very hard to initially just determine whether there's something wrong with the car just by lifting the the bonnet you need to have the right tools to plug in need to assess things uh, and you need to have people who are professionals in the field and in 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 assessing this tell us how how does car switch go about inspecting its vehicles well so we first of all we employ people who are professionals and have experience in this field Um, so once you're lifting the hood you know what to look for (laughs) Um, and also now computers are everything. So once you connect, um, tools, uh, to the car, they will show you pretty much every error that, uh, you know, um, the car has had in the past, Yeah, you know, years and years. Yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, we're, based on this, we're getting a few text messages coming in, which is really great to, to, to hear because people are, are listening and they can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and and Guy has uh, has just texted in, and he wants to know how do you know? And this is one that I tell you what catches so many people. Like, how do you know if the odometer has been rolled back? It's a it's an age old trick, but now with electronic uh, digital dashes, um, it's so hard to find now. How can you tell if uh, if a car is reading? the kilometers are too few compared to what uh, it should be. 
So there is a couple of tricks. Um, first of all, if the car has been registered in Dubai and you're buying a car from Dubai, RTA um, will never let you pass the car unless the odometer is correct. So they have the history. So in this way, government is protecting us from uh, fraudulent actions. Um, the second uh, thing is you can always bring the car to official uh, dealership and they will be able to, to dig in and um, cross-check uh, the actual odometer readings. And the very last thing is uh, the fuel um, uh, readings. So, uh, sorry, fuel, uh, not the fuel, but the oil readings. Uh, mm. My bad. Um, so, oil has to be changed every 10,000 kilometers for most of the cars. And your computer will always check um, the oil readings. So, if you see that oil has been changed, for example, for 18, 20 times, you know that it's been at least 20,000 kilometers in that car. Great. Um, yeah, so you will be able to manually calculate that. So that's uh, that's a trick. That's a great one because obviously too, and, and, and if you do your due diligence and you check the service records, and if they don't match up to the kilometres, if you see it's been serviced and stamped, and the, as you say, you do the actual calculations and work out, hang on, the kilometres are more than what's reading on the odometer, you know there's something wrong there. That's right. So basically... That's the very easy uh, thing to do. You cross-check your oil change with the actual kilometers that you have on display. Yeah. Well, stick around. We've got more uh, people texting in um, who want some information from you, Vlad. But yes, this is Motor Media, and indeed we are with CarSwitch, and in fact with Vlad Musharov, the Head of Business Development at CarSwitch, who is joining us live on Microsoft Teams, and we're talking about selling your cars. Now, Vlad, just before the break, we had some text messages. I've got another one here from you, um, because people are loving this uh, this information that you're providing. And this is from Anya. Anya says, you always talk about the microchip shortage on the show and how it's affected new car stocks. And how it's improved uh, used car prices. Is that still the case, or do you see uh, this this uh, easing with the, the microchip shortage? What's your take on on all of this uh, movement in the market, Vlad? So what we see is um, that it definitely affected supply and demand chain, um, and in a couple of months it should be resolved. Uh, new cars are getting into the market, and uh, I would say that. People should hold on to their cars uh, for some time. Um, that's my personal uh, feeling. Um, and then sell it probably in a couple of months. But at the same time, if you want to get the best price out of your car, you should probably sell as of today. Yeah, for sure. Great, great advice. Fatima has also uh, chipped in and says, when you buy on car switch, can you check the car's history or do you guys actually do that? Well, we assign, so we, we check the car history ourselves, um, and then we assign a sales agent with whom you can consult um, about any kind of um, issues that the car has had in the past. So we'll be, help, we'll be helpful in this uh, matters. Yeah, so it also boils down to a fair bit of trust too, doesn't it? Of course. 
<laughs> of course. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a little bit more time. Keep your questions coming, 4001, or give us a call on 04871 because we've got Vlad for a little bit more on Microsoft Teams. Um, and if you'd like to uh, s- uh, sell your car for, for more value, then listen up, because, uh, Vlad, you have a few tips for us. Um, there are certain attri- attributes that would make a car sell faster than others. What What do you think would be the main ones? So the very... First thing is the car color, um, and what we see statistically is that cars of lighter colors, let's say white or uh, beige, are selling much faster than the other cars that are darker colors. That's, I think, because of the nature um, and uh, because of the sunny weather um, over here. Um, then the second thing is that the car should be probably serviced in the uh, garage uh, that's official agency um, that will be super helpful and if you have um, the car that's Toyota, Nissan or Mercedes that would be the super uh, fast seller mm. So what, why do you think colors make such a, a difference in the region here? I mean we always see that we see movement of particularly as I say the light color cars or whites move very far uh, very quickly compared to other colors. Well, I mean they attract less sun and um when the weather goes up to plus 50 degrees uh you know you you're not really um bothered by the sun as much as if you were in the darker car because that will attract more sun. That's as simple as it is. Mm. And you mentioned in terms of the agency maintained. What, why is that a plus to have your car continually serviced at, a, at, a, at an agency? Well, you have um, an official dealer who's trusted, who's reputable, um, and he can provide you with all the guarantees of the service done by um, his own service checks. So... If you do it in the garage that's not reputable, um, you might have some questionable services. Um, You don't know if the original parts were put in or um, let's say if the oil was changed in the um, appropriate way. So what what I mean by that is um, you could use cheaper oil or more expensive oil and that would affect your engine uh, lifespan. So... If you put the right oil for your engine, you would have engine working for longer. And the agency will always use the... um, So basically, the official dealer will use only the oil that's advised for your um, engine. So that will increase your um, uh, car life cycle. Yeah, as as we said earlier in the show, it's the cheapest insurance to make sure you've got good oil in the car. And the agency, well, they're the guys who make the car, so they supply the, the right oil. Now, in, in terms of when, yes. when it when it comes to um, modifications on a car, I know a lot of people get their car and they like to do their own kind of personalization and to make the car their own. But how does that alter a car's value and does it ever improve a car's value? So from our perspective, it doesn't usually improve the car value because um, officially you cannot modify cars in uh, the UAE. Um, mm. You can do that with some types of the cars. Um, let's say you can do it with Jeep, uh, and that's officially done through uh, Jeep itself. Yeah. Um, 
then you can do some body modifications, but um, RTA will never, and the Road and Transport Authority will never uh, let you pass um, with the car. Yeah, okay. If you have modified it. Uh, that's sometimes dangerous for other drivers on the road. Yeah, sure, sure. We've got, a, we've got an interesting text here from Jasmine who's asking you, what sort of cars don't you accept on the platform car switch? Um, so we usually do not accept cars that are above 10 years old and um, above 250,000 kilometers. Okay, sure. Uh, that's our main guidelines. Um, but other than that, we are happy to have all customers that are willing to <laughs> sell cars and uh, <laughs> yeah I'm going, to, I'm going to throw a quick, very quick valuation to you, Vlad. Um, there's a text message that's come through. Hi, Motormania. Can you help me with the value? It's, a, it's a, an American-made Nissan Altima 3.5 litre. It's a 2015 model with 93,000 kilometres. Now, the question here is, is it critical to sell the car before it gets to 100,000 kilometres? This is uh, from Des. Do, do you think that's a smart move to sell the car before it gets to 100,000 kilometres? Well, I guess it's um, your own feel about it. Um, if that car is something that you actually feel that you like it and you like the drive and uh, you're enjoying it, me personally, I wouldn't sell it. Um, but there are other factors that influence my decision when I sell the car. Um, so that would be, again, the warranty uh, the service contract, the actual condition of the car, and you as the owner of the car, you would know that. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it's it's it's, it's your own feel. Uh, you can always reach out to us. We'll do the valuation and uh, we'll yeah. advise you whether, um, <laughs> you know, the car is actually worth selling at this point of time or, um, you know, you should stick to that for a bit longer. Yeah, for sure. Now, I've got one final one that's, uh, that's just popped through, and I'm not sure if you're a Mustang man or not, but this one sounds great. Uh, good morning. Great show. I need uh, We need more of these types of shows. Oh, thanks very much for that. Um, I need some help. I have a pair of Ford Mustangs, a 1965 Coupe that's uh, untouched original. It's a 289 V8. Beautiful engine. Uh, it's only 53,000 miles, ex-California and he's the third owner, and it's been in Dubai for four years. Also has another one. I think it's a 2008 uh, GT convertible. Agency maintained, 138,000 kilometers with the Roush kit. Of, so it's a bit, a bit of grunt under the hood there. Uh, super clean. Both cars are kept in air conditioning under covers, and average around about 250 miles per year. Um, the question he wants to know is, uh, would, would, you, would you part with those, or would you uh, just keep the maintenance going and enjoy them? So... I would keep the maintenance and the agency most definitely, um, and uh, that will actually help you to keep the value of the car. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and uh, very similar. I I would be very hard pressed to part with one of those. If I had to part with one, I'd probably keep the two eighty nine V eight, the original sixty five coupe, because they are they never go down in value and they keep going up in smiles. That's the re- that's the response I get from people who are, who's lucky enough to uh, to drive one. But um, but look. Uh, uh, Thank you, thank you so much, um, Vlad. This has been a, a great chance to uh, to have a chat with you, Vlad Masharov, head of business development thank at, uh, at CarSwitch, and um, I hope you uh, get out there and do some uh, do do some uh, do some good mileage and uh, enjoy your weekend this weekend. Thank you so much, Damien, and uh, 
nice having me and nice having uh, this chat with you. So, so I hope we catch up soon. Brilliant. Absolutely. That's uh, Vlad Masaris from uh, from carswitch.com. And that's just about uh, it for us for, for Motormania this week. Thank you so much to all our guests. Uh, do um, do join us in uh, two weeks' time because I'll have the exclusive review of the Menno, Re- Menno, the Renault Megane E-Tech. It's an electric vehicle. We're going, I'm going to the launch of that later next week. Um, I'm going to be interview uh, one of the senior management of Mercedes-Benz who's around at the moment because I'll be taking part in the Mila Milia tomorrow and I'm hopefully going to get the chance to talk to X. Formula One driver and Le Mans winner Jochen Mass as well. So lots to look forward to. If you're out there on the Mille Miglia, give us a wave, honk your horns, flash your lights and say good day to us because we'd love to have a chat with you. There's the guys are heading down towards Fujera Way today and then they'll be heading back for the finish tomorrow afternoon. And uh, we'll hopefully see you then. If not, we'll see you for the next edition of Motormania.